2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to i Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at one 800 743 cbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. There's Washington, and then there's everywhere else. That's how I felt when the nation's top bankers were being raked over the coals by Congress for the sins of their predecessors today, and the averages, well, they barely budged while it was happening. Yep, on a day where the market yawned, well, the Dow inching up seven points, s and advancing 0.35%, Nasdaq gaining 0.69%, all the major banking CEOs were grilled by the House Financial Services Committee. Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan, Brian Moynihan of Bank of America, Michael Corbat of Citigroup, David Solomon of Goldman Sachs, and James Gorman of Morgan Stanley, among others, had to serve as human piñatas for a hostile audience. There was a time when these hearings, well, let's say they would have been more than just great theater. There was a time when America was in crisis, and many of these banks were a huge part of the problem. But come on, it's been over a decade. The time to soul search was when the regulators failed to protect us from rapacious capitalism run amok. Yet we never asked them why. We never hauled in any of the so-called protectors and skewered them like the bankers were skewered today. Oh, and most of these CEOs weren't even running things during the financial crisis, unless you want to talk about how Jamie Dimon saved two gigantic failing banks at the best of the government, and James Gorman purged his reckless businesses well before he had to. Yet when you listen to these Congress people, it's like they think the bankers should turn themselves over to federal prison. Maybe they should have booked rooms in Butner Medium and a wing adjoining Bernie Madoff. Look, I get the desire to punish the banks. It's a travesty that nobody went to prison in the wake of the financial crisis. But do any of the CEOs who were verbally drawn and quartered today deserve to spend some time at, at Shawshank? The worst I can say is that some of them were obtuse. And that's not a crime. Honestly, though, if we're going to have a long, delayed reckoning for the Great Recession, maybe we should start with our political system. Because at a moment like this, it sure seems like the House Financial Services Committee is tilling at windmills. When I look at the S&P 500, I see a vast swath of companies with balance sheets that are a heck of a lot better than the U.S. government, given our insane budget deficit. We're not in danger of another financial crisis. This Congress is too divided to pass real legislation. So all we're left with is political theater, which means we can ignore Washington and focus on what's happening at individual companies, which you know I like. Right now, we're on the cusp of earnings season. Sure, we have Disney's huge investor meeting tomorrow. More on that later. We had important earnings news from just two companies today, Delta and ConAgra, an airline to package food to play. Uh, they were stupendous. Delta was unexpected because it had already pre-announced good numbers, and these numbers were even better than the preannounced numbers. ConAgra was a total shocker as the company, well, let's just say the company, had been beaten down by a bad acquisition that's now turning out to be more positive, as management assured in their analyst day. But Friday, Friday, we start to get earnings from these same bankers who were pillory today. And I have to believe they'll be able to tell a better story in their conference calls than they did in front of Congress. What exactly do we want to hear? First, we need the banks to tell us that they're still making a ton of money off of your deposits in spite of the economic slowdown and a whole new hikes. Second, we want to hear that businesses are still expanding, even if they did hit the pause button when the market cratered during the fourth quarter. Third, we want to hear that there's no pickup in bad loans. More bad loans would be a sign that we're headed into a recession. You don't want to see that at a time when the inverted yield curve has already given, you the, given the bears a lot of ammo that we're going to go into one. Finally, we want the banks to tell us that the consumer is alive and well and spending. For that, let me give you a preview, because I spent much of the day at the terrific J.P. Morgan retail conference hosted by Matt Boss, and I liked almost everything I heard. Over and over again, I got to listen to CEOs like Michelle Goss from Kohl's and Mark Butler from Ollie's Bargain Outlets, both of whom you'll hear later tonight. And they repeatedly said that the consumer is upbeat and open to bargains, whether we're talking about apparel or toys or housewares or consumer packaged goods. There's a difficult calendar issue for these companies with more exposure to Easter gifts than others, because Easter falls on April 21st this year, so the comparisons are skewed. Last year, Easter was April 1st during the first quarter, so the month after over month the numbers, they might take a hit. Plus, February was awful because of the freezing cold and wet weather. But I think business has turned around, and many of the retail stocks are worth owning here, especially since the group got hammered today. I see nice bargains. Bye bye bye. Where do the money managers go as they swap out of retail? Where do they always go when they're worried about a slowing economy? They bought the techiest of the techs, the cloud kings. Think VMware, think Splunk, think Workday, ServiceNow, all of which rallied fabulously today. They went back to the biotechs, a group that invaded language, let's say, for a couple of days. And yes, they fell back on fang. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google now off of it. I think Apple's performance was the most impressive because the stock managed to go higher, even though it caught a downgrade today based on the alleged overhype expectations for the company's new service reams, revenue streams, which, you know, I think are terrific. All right, what about the disappointments? There weren't many today, but the ones that disappointed did so badly. In fact, the only truly disappointing stock was, once again, Lyft down another 7 bucks. I know early last week Morgan Stanley was blamed, I think incorrectly, for allowing some of Lyft's shareholders to short the stock against their own locked-up positions. Morgan Stanley has categorically denied this to me. But honestly, I don't really care either way. As far as I'm concerned, Lyft's meltdown is a blessing in disguise. Remember, my biggest worry was that these upcoming IPOs would suck up all the free capital and weigh down the rest of the market. That seems a lot less likely now that Lyft has been such a debacle. Don't get me wrong. The Uber deal will still have plenty of buyers. But I'm betting there will be substantially less enthusiasm for these new offerings, which is good news because IPO jubilation is the last thing a bull wants to see. But the bottom line. The bankers are still regarded as gangsters on Capitol Hill. I just want them to put on a good show when they start reporting earnings in 48 hours. If they do, all will be forgiven, at least on Wall Street, and their stocks will roar. Just remember, you don't have to like the bankers. You only have to like their numbers. Bye, bye, bye. Mark in Iowa, Mark. Booyah from the Cedar Valley Gym yeah i've been yeah i've been meaning to get there what's going on uh, I've been looking at shopify I saw an article about three four months ago and been following it and been looking for a uh entry
1: point, but it hasn't pulled back too much and I was wondering a uh, ten to twenty percent pullback is is that uh <sighs> You know, Mark, I, I,
2: I've been waiting for that. My Chapel Trust, which you can follow along at actionlearnsplus.com, we, uh, the club we have been just been begging to get into Shopify. There's been some negative news. It won't come down. I'm beginning to wonder when it ever will because I share your enthusiasm. Bye, bye, bye. Zachary, in Missouri, Zachary. Hey, Jim, how's it going? Booyah. Good day. Good day. How about you? Do, doing very well, doing very well. Excellent. I just want to
1: start off by thank you. Um, you were on the listening sh- listening your show the other day about um, high yields um, on stocks, and right. it really helped out with a particular company. Oh, my, good. Qu- Sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I'm glad that I helped out. You know, we always try to do that, and some days it's harder than others, but what's going on? How can I help?
1: Yeah, yeah so, so my, my, uh, my question is about Levi's. Um so they just released the i p o um a few weeks back um, and their earnings are up right now um but I was wondering what you think about their growth uh, I know they were they had an i p o
2: before back in the seventies right. um uh, but I was wondering what, is, what do you but, think their potential is. Um, great question. I, I've been long a follower of Levi's from even when it was uh, uh, before it went private and knew the family. And here's what I have to say about it. I thought it was a good quarter. I thought Chip Berg, the CEO, did a good job. And I think the stock is ah, a buy. Ah, Richard in Tennessee. Richard. Richard. Ah, What's going on, Richard?
1: Yes, uh, with Snapchat's recent additions of developer tools, which include App Stories, Creative Kit for Websites, and opportunity for, for developers to monetize their apps with Snap Ads, how do you see the market moving short and long term for SNAP and how they work the investment?
2: Well, Richard, I got to tell you, I think the stock has moved so much. Now, maybe you could argue it shouldn't have been as low as it was and the quarter was OK. But I think you're going to have to wait for this one to come back down. I cannot recommend it after this double. And he Jim, where were you at six, seven, eight? Well, the answer is I've been negative for a very long time. And maybe I stayed too negative. That's all I can say. All right. You don't have to like the banks. But you're going to have to like their numbers if we're going to have another part of this rally. Oh, man, Money Tonight, it's a retail operator that successfully adopted a radically reordered marketplace. But can Kohl's remain the retail poster child? I'm talking to the CEO. Then, think Disney's Avengers premiere date could be a big one for the company? Think again. I'll tell you why the most important day of the year for the Mouse House is tomorrow. And it's a $5 billion retail empire that sells nothing online but is still beating Amazon. I'm talking to Ollie's CEO about how it happens. So stay with Kramer.
3: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag madtweets. Send Jim an email to MadMoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC
0: visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: After a brutal fourth quarter and a rough start to 2019, many retail stocks have ignited over the past month, with the group suddenly back in style on the Wall Street fashion show. Even as the sector did take a breather today, I think there's more upside here as long as you're focused on best-of-breed operators. I'm talking about companies like Kohl's, the incredibly well-run department store chain. Kohl's has been able to thrive in a tough environment, largely because they're a lot more creative in the competition. The company has a brilliant partnership with Amazon, where you can return your Amazon orders to Kohl's in person, which is a great way to generate traffic. They've also got plans to shrink some of their stores and lease out the space to gyms like Planet Fitness or supermarkets in order to attract more people to their strip mall for, uh, locations and also, of course, to fulfill a wellness imperative. And lately, Kohl's has been killing it on the merchandising front, selling tons of products made by Nike, Under Armour, Adidas. This is a part of a larger shift towards selling more big name brands. For example, this fall, they'll start carrying Nine West. Oh, and the stock's still ridiculously cheap. It sells for 11 times, earnings, 3.75% yield to boot. But don't take it from me. Earlier today, we had our first chance to sit down with Michelle Goss, the relatively new CEO of Kohl's at J.P. Morgan's Retail Roundup Conference in New York. Take a look. Michelle, there are so many initiatives you're putting through, but in the end, you are a block and tackle person, driving traffic and Operational excellence, That's your, those are the two things you're looking for.
4: These are our two key priorities in the company. They've been in place, Jim, for a couple years. And I tell you, the organization is executing, and they work together. So operational excellence is all about how we drive our business and drive it profitably. And we use that to fuel more initiatives around driving traffic. And we have initiatives across the board from product to digital and, of course, into our store.
2: Now, what's important to me as someone who's a value shopper is I see brands that are lower than when I go online at your place, but I can try them on too. And there's a bit of excitement to getting the bargain for the for a Nike for an Under Armour.
4: Yes, I mean, people always can appreciate value. They love a great deal, and that goes back to the core roots of the company. I think what sets Kohl's apart is that we have a great diversified portfolio of brands. So everything from those great iconic value brands, our private brands, to coveted and loved national brands like Levi's and Carter's and our active brands like Nike, Levi, uh, Nike and Adidas and Under Armour.
2: At the same time, uh, Kohl's Cash. I've got them. Mid- I don't see. I, I should get the app. I know. But <laughs> Kohl's Cash to me means uh, money in the bank.
4: You know, Kohl's Cash, people really think about that as our loyalty program because they come in, they buy, they get their Kohl's Cash, and then they get to come back in and buy more, treat themselves. And it's a phenomenal program. I mean, every, every year we issue several billion dollars of Kohl's Cash to our customers, and they happily spend it. I
2: mean, because it's, it's a, a thousand, just more than 1,000 store base, so obviously everyone's making out.
4: Yeah. I mean, again, they come in, they get great value, and then they get a little something back for them.
2: I know another initiative that you're uh, very proud of is wellness. We've had Planet Fitness on uh, a remarkable partnership that no one expected.
4: Yeah. no, active and wellness has become a very important part of our business. Jim, that business has doubled over the course of the last four years. It's now 20% of our business. Wow. Across the board. So that's active and athletic apparel, it's footwear, and it's even wellness items, things like Fitbit. And so um, as we look ahead, it's going to be even more important. We're expanding our space. We have 160 stores where we're growing that space over 25 percent. We're entering into new categories like golf and outerwear, and we're fostering unique partnerships. So Planet Fitness is a really great example. You know, that's part of what we call our right-sizing initiative. So where, as we look ahead, you know, we're committed to stores, we love our stores. We have 1160 of them, it's the core of our business, but we think there's opportunity in some cases to make them a little smaller. And so in this case, like Planet Fitness, sort of shrinking the store and then bringing in a partner and in this case a great concept like Planet Fitness. So we're enabling our customers to work out and certainly they can buy their gear from us afterwards.
2: We love the fact that you don't have to be chiseled to go to Planet Fitness and it's got the right price point. I don't want to bury the lead. I know in the conference call things going like this and then boom right up when you talked about the partnership with Amazon. It is sacred to me that someone brick and mortar has been able to partner with them and it's on more than just devices.
4: That's right. I mean, I think our our partnership and our pilot with Amazon is really interesting you know we are selling their product we just announced that we're going to be expanding into two hundred stores and selling their echo devices and other things So i think that's really exciting and then i think the returns initiative is one where we can really leverage each other's strengths Um so i think one of the benefits of being in brick-and-mortar and and having an online business is to accommodate easy returns i think we can all relate to sometimes returning things isn't the most convenient and as it relates to coals um, 80% of America lives within 10 miles of a Kohl's. So with Amazon, we're accepting their returns. It's really easy. You don't have to package it. So it's unpackaged and, and it's, it's free. A and it's free, Jim. It's right. so.
2: And I like the you have to go through the racetrack so to speak to get there. Do people buy when they go to AMP, do you have numbers which show how good a customer is who goes to return something?
4: You know, as you'd expect, certainly some are, but we're still in a pilot stage. So when we make the decision, um, if we go forward, it really does need to be a win win for both of us.
2: You have been uh, at the forefront of personalization what does it mean to both personalize and at the same time cut costs? I mean, th- these are amazing things because a lot of people feel like personalized means you've got to have thousands of people working on it, but you seem to be able to both cut costs and to make it so that you feel that uh, you're the uh, an important shopper when you go to calls.
4: Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, it goes back to our two key initiatives of driving traffic and operational excellence. So, you know, we're looking at ways on the operational excellence to remove, as they say, non-value added costs, drive profitability and reinvest. In both cases, technology is a huge enabler of this. So we are investing a lot of our capital into creating personalized experiences for our customer. And that can mean more personalized in the store or reaching them on a more personalized basis online.
2: Do you bring in a, a vendor to do that or is it just something because you've got great data from Kohl's Cash and all the from the register?
4: Well, our data is our own and we've invested um, a lot of money to make sure that we can access that data. And, you know, give to customers and and serve up content that's relevant to them, products that they like to buy, but all doing it in a way that creates an even deeper relationship with them.
2: You talked about investing. Uh, There have been people in your shoes at other retailers who spent a fortune buying stock very high. Why did you decide to go for debt? Why back that debt was so small?
4: you know, that's speaking to how healthy um, the capital structure of the company is, and we did. We, we bought back close to a billion dollars of debt last year. We have a very strong balance sheet, and I think it does position us to invest and um, be successful over the long term.
2: Uh, one last uh, question. You have the finger on the pulse of the consumer, and I know that February, the whole country was kind of screwy. So now we've got to look at March. I'm not trying to pin you down on numbers. That's not right. But is the consumer healthier than people think?
4: Well, certainly if you look at the trend over the last couple years, the consumer's been really healthy. Um, We've benefited from that, as have others, and we've also leaned into our own key initiatives to to drive traffic. Uh, As we've shared, February got off to a slow start. The weather was tough with everybody. Um but I'll tell you as we look ahead to the year we're we're optimistic we've guided our business to be positive again this year both on the top line and in earnings and we always stay close to the customer but I think importantly Jim if if things were to shift um we stand for value and that never goes out of style. Doesn't go
2: out of style. Absolutely. Want to thank you. it is just a great pleasure to be able to interview you. that's Michelle Goss she's the CEO of Coles KSS stock is owned by my travel trust and I think it goes much higher stable Kramer. Walt Disney has a new Avengers movie coming out in two weeks. They've got the next Star Wars in December. Those are both going to be huge new releases. But I think the most important day of the year for this company is tomorrow. That's right, tomorrow. Disney holds its annual Investor Day. Their first since CEO Bob Iger transformed the whole enterprise by snapping up Fox's entertainment assets. I'm a big believer in the new Disney I think he's got a terrific story, which is why we own it for my travel trust, which you can follow along all of our moves before we make them by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. That said, it's taken a long time for Wall Street to warm up to this one. Ever since ESPN, the jewel in the crown of Disney's cable business, started losing subscribers a few years ago, the stock has had trouble gaining traction. No matter what Bob Iger did to juice the rest of the company, and he's done a lot, very few investors could look past the bleeding here. But that finally seems to be changing. In the past few weeks, Disney stock has caught fires, rallying in 10 of the past 12 sessions ahead of this meeting, from 107 and changed to 117 as of today. The analysts have been falling all over themselves to push this one. The stock's caught two upgrades in just the last two days. Suddenly, people are feeling a lot more bullish as we head into this meeting. Okay, before I get into the specifics of what we're looking for tomorrow, you need to understand how Disney ended up in this, in this down and out situation to begin with. All right, here's a stock that peaked at 122 in the summer of 2015, and then it fell off a cliff. Since then, Disney tried and failed to breach those levels on multiple occasions. The stock basically been stuck on a treadmill for the past four years. The reason? Cord cutting. Disney gets 41% of its sales from the media networks business, which includes all of their television properties from ABC to ES. A few years ago, the business started to stagnate. After growing by double digits in fiscal 2015, division slowed to 2% in 2016 and then turned negative in 2017. Last year, it perked up again, up 4%. Wall Street had already given up, mostly because ESPN subscribers peaked and then fell pretty precipitously. The problem, with more and more people canceling their cable subscriptions, Disney's cable properties, and especially the ESPN, well, they've become a lot less lucrative. But here's the thing. This is confusing. Founded Bob Iger, because the rest of the company's been white hot. The Parks Division grew at a 10% clip last year, and the Studio Division was up 19%. Together, those account for 51% of the enterprise. But it didn't seem to matter because Disney had a narrative problem. With the weakness in cable, many investors just couldn't see much to get excited about here, even if everything else was going great. And that's why Bob Iger's been working so hard to change the story. Last year, he agreed to shell out $71 billion dollars That's a lot of money. For 21st Century Fox's Entertainment Assets, and a deal that closed a few weeks ago. This gives Disney a bunch of terrific properties, though, from The Simpsons to Avatar to the X-Men. Plus, Disney now has a controlling interest in Hulu, which is important because they've been doing everything they can to set up their own subscription streaming services, like ESPN Plus and the forthcoming Disney Plus. If cable TV is truly in decline, they might as well cut out the middleman and sell you their content directly over the web. Tell by the way, Hulu's got an incredibly young demographic. Now, I've been screaming my darn head off about this transformation for months. But until recently, it didn't seem to matter at all. In February, Disney reported a blowout quarter. Just a monster. $0.29 cent earnings beat off $1.55 basis. And the once again ailing media network segment grew at a 7% clip. But the stock didn't get much lift because management held off on giving guidance until their investor day. And as we approach tomorrow's big meeting, Disney stock has begun to spark. I think people finally re- so they started to realize that Disney is about to get off that treadmill it's been stuck on since ESPN went from being a gift to being a problem. So what needs to happen? What are we hoping Bob Iger will do to change the narrative? First and most important, we need some color on what Disney's earnings will look like both this year and next. Everyone understands that the company has a lot of expensive projects in the works. The expansion of ESPN+, the launch of Disney+, two new Star Wars theme park zones, and the integration of Fox's enormous entertainment business. This stuff won't be cheap. That's why Wall Street only expects the company to earn $6.71 a share this year, down significantly from 2018. So we got two big questions on the earnings front. Will the numbers be materially worse than the consensus figure? If we toss out the biggest outliers, right now the analysts are looking for anywhere from $6.36 to $7.44 a share. Assuming Disney gives us explicit guidance, and they really should, then as long as their forecast falls somewhere between those numbers, we should be fine. But if they pull a CVS and give horrible guidance, guidance that's below even the lowest analysts on the street, then the stock could get hammered. The second sticking point, we want to hear that 2019 will be the trough for earnings and 2020 will be an up year. Ideally, this year would be a reset year. Reset being Wall Street speak for basically a do-over. And next year, Disney should be off to the races. However, on Monday, UBS published a generally positive piece where they suggested that 2020 might be the trough. If that turns out to be the case, then it'll be de- derailing the newfound bullish narrative. Although I don't see a lot of potential downside here. More likely, it would mean the stock continues to be dead money for a longer period than we'd hope. What else? According to Disney, their big focus tomorrow is the new streaming service, Disney+. Plus. This one's more subjective. Sure, we want to know how much it will cost, but really want to see a demonstration that looks good and feels good. We've already heard some commentary from industry sources that this service is unlike anything we've ever seen. This morning, Credit Suisse published a piece talking about how they expect an impressive user interface, along with, and I quote, the best lineup of library plus pay one movie brands ever made available in a streaming service. End quote. I bet Bob Oger can deliver, but you need to understand that people already expect to be impressed. Yes, we also want to hear about ESPN+, Plus, which launched roughly a year ago. We know they already crossed 2 million subscribers in February. But the big question here is whether the streaming service can offset the subscriber losses at old-fashioned ESPN. If it's doing better than expected, that's very good news. But it is awfully difficult to make that, that comparison versus the old halcyon days. How about the film business? One industry contact recently told us that with Fox's production business, Disney could have enough blockbuster content to dominate the box office for 38 weeks of the year in the not-too-distant future. If true, that would be huge, especially since Disney already has the world's most lucrative studios. It would make it so it's an earnings stream that's predictable and will just go on and on. We want to hear about new extensions of Fox properties. Maybe a Simpsons theme park. Hey, hey, uh, at least a ride. James Cameron's long-awaited Avatar sequels. We want to hear about the new Star Wars rides that launch tomorrow. We want to feel like it's been too long and it's time to go back to Disney World. We want to know how Shanghai Disney's holding up, given that this is an iconic American brand and we're locked in a trade war with the PRC. Ideally, I'd love to hear that Bob Iger will pledge to stick around as CEO until 2024. Maybe we get a buyback, too, which is something that Disney has historically announced after the close of a big acquisition. Although the Fox deal is so big that this time they might have to wait. The bottom line, if Disney can deliver, tomorrow's investor meeting will be a huge turning point for the stock, even though it's already up a lot. Now you know what to do and what to look for. I'll be watching the story like a hawk and filling you in so you can make your own judgment as to whether the kingdom is still magic. Let's go to Sid in North Carolina. Sid! Hi, Jim. A hey, big from A big booyah Duke fan in the Tar Heel State. Oh, man, good to have you on the show. How can I help? Uh, I've got some questions about Verizon Communication. Sure. Uh, with the addition of several new communication companies popping up about every month, how do you
0: feel about Verizon?
2: I think it's a terrific long-term hold. I do think I've encouraged people to buy it. It's a little bit at the high end of the range. If it comes down in the mid-50s, then buy, bye 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 buy, buy. It's just a good situation. Now, do you believe in Disney? Tomorrow could be a huge turning point for this stock. I'm watching it closely. Watch where have Money Head. In a world where brick-and-mortar retail has seen its business model threatened, how are discount retailers like Ollie's Bargain Outlet Barry? I'm going to sit down with the CEO. Then, what a $10 bottle of water, lemony water, tells us about market tops and millennials. And all your calls rapid-fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. As we head into earnings season, what are we supposed to make of all these stocks that were higher in the wake of seemingly disappointing earnings? Take Ollie's Bargain Outlet Holdings, the off-price chain with a terrific long-term track record. I love the off-price business. It's such a great model. They buy excess inventory from department stores for next to nothing, then they flip it to customers at a nice markup. But Ollie's has given you some ho-hum numbers the last couple times it reported. Two weeks ago, the company delivered a quarter that was far from perfect. It was a one-cent earnings beat off a 70-cent basis with a slightly weaker-than-expected revenue and same-store sales. Yet what happens? The stock rallies. It always was at 81 when it reported and now it's at 90. So what the heck is going on here? Do they think management is simply being conservative in an attempt to under-promise and over-deliver or U-Pod? Or did management actually prep you for these numbers against very hard comparisons? And the truth is business remains on track and on fire! Bye bye. bye. Earlier today, we got a chance to check in with Mark Butler, the CEO of Ollie's Bargain Outlet Holdings at the big J.P. Morgan retail roundup. Take a look at this. Mark, there's an army everybody knows. That's the government army. And then there's Ollie's army. What a fantastic thing that you've
5: got going. Yeah, it's a real thrill, Jim. Now over 9 million members strong. Still encompasses over 70% of our business. These folks, these are the real hardcore bargainants. They spend 40% more than non-Ollies Army members. And we got some really cool things going on. We have an app that we launched late last year. We've got ranks, so we, every com- everybody comes in as a one-star. They can become a two-star or a three-star. And the whole idea is to try to increase the shopping frequency and to re- reward our best customers. you get to
2: be a three star.
5: Uh, you got to spend $500 or more in a year. It resets every year. You'll get a 30% off one item with a short fuse on the coupon. It's really exciting. I think it's going to make a difference. Will there be Ali's Army's? Uh Hitting the beach in Oklahoma and Massachusetts? Uh, there will. Those are going to be our two new states. There will be 25 states. And today, Jim, we opened three stores in Tennessee. That gives us 318 stores. That's exactly one-third of what we have announced as the potential of 950 stores, which might be light, but we're exactly one-third of the way there. We've got a long way to go. I'm really excited.
2: A lot of people have sat next to me and they say, listen, we're going to expand but it's been at the cost of profitability. That is not your style.
5: Look, I'm not a hired gun. I started this business, this is what I do. Uh, We're sticking to exactly what I said when we started this journey on the public market in July of 2015. Mid-teen store count growth year over year i rather open up really good, profitable stores rather than just open up a ton of stores. Human capital is very important. Culture is, is very important. So we really feel great about uh, the prospects of the business.
2: You don't just say these things when you talk about human capital and you talk about culture. I actually first heard of you as someone who cared more about the community as a, re- as a retailer and charity as a retailer. And I- I'm going to
5: ask you to tell about it. That's not your style, but I'm going to make you talk about it. Well, thank you very much. My-, my passion is the Cal Ripken Senior Foundation, which was started by uh, Cal, Billy, and his family. And, uh, you know, what we do is uh, try to teach at-risk youth uh, life lessons through baseball and softball-themed programs. You know, we're affecting uh, upwards of 100, uh, 1.5 to 1.7 million kids yeah. this year. Uh, throughout the country, this is nationwide, I'm very blessed to be able to be a steward of the Ripken name. Uh, I'm the chairman of the foundation. Obviously, I drank the Kool-Aid. This is really making a difference to the youth in America. Thank you for saying that. Uh, we just think it's a small part that we can pay back to the people that have been so good to us.
2: There are no retailers other than you. Uh, that are not threatened by the web or feel like they've got to go do something, a a pick up here, uh, anything, because they want to please Wall Street. Why do you
5: just stick to your knitting? Well, I don't think that anybody can argue with my white space opportunity with the growth. Again, being only one-third of the way home, our new store performance, store paybacks in less than two years, uh, I'll put that up against most every retailer that there is in America. So we think that we have what turns America on, which is selling a bargain. It never, ever, ever will go out of style. America loves to save money. So we can open up these stores, and when you come in, our shopping experience, it's absolutely unduplicatable online. It just ain't going to happen. So you come in, you see the goofiness, you see the signs, you see the bargains, and you know what? It's very difficult to come in and just buy one item. You see another bargain, you pick it up, we ring you out, we say thanks, and they come back.
2: recently had a, a toy executive one. And the toy executive was not sure where things were in inventory and how cheaply they were being
5: sold. I told him they'll go to Ollie's. Isn't that where you have excelled most recently? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had an absolutely sensational Q4, you know, over five percent comp store sales. Certainly led by our initiative in toys. Jim, we can't we got ahead of it. We we predicted the toys are us. Uh, situation in bankruptcy long before they announced you or any news. You predicted it. You we- saw it coming. Well, we saw it coming because we felt what was happening with the manufacturers. Manufacturers were coming and saying they had more and more product, mm-hmm. so we bought into it. I, I, I guessed. I knew that the consumer was going to need a place to shop and buy toys. So we said, geez, why not let it be Ollie's? We jumped on it, we got ahead of it. And I think it's important for me to tell you that we have every intention, not only to meet what we did in toys last year, which was sensational, Uh, uh, but to beat it. And the way we're gonna beat it is by increasing our width, by our breadth, not necessarily our depth, and make more toy offerings available to the customer. It was really good, we got that customer, we have every intention of keeping them.
2: Now, there is a a great synergy between uh, Stores that do poorly and Ollie's. How are you doing with consumer packaged goods? Because boy, you always have the cheapest for those. The national names.
5: Yeah, many of them. In fact, most of them. I can't even tell you their names. They don't want me to go out and public. You know, but but they're ones that we all know. Every one of them you know, and what they want is they want their product to go away quietly. They want us to be able to sell it, we're not allowed to advertise it, the the consumer comes in, they can see the product, they see major name brands of deodorants, shampoos, detergents, all of this product. All the manufacturers want, and we're doing very, very well. They just want it to go away quietly, and we're giving major name brands a drastically reduced price.
2: Well, people, the millions love that, and the army. Do, are the millions optimistic? You've got a good read about what each store does year over year, which you've done incredibly. Uh, I like to think that things are better than expected in terms of the consumer, but you tell me—you've got the—you've fo- got the pulse.
5: Yeah, well, certainly, and you know what I what I tell everybody is to stick with me. One to two percent comps. Just stick with me. I don't turn the register off when we hit two percent. Our business has never been better, and our proc- procurement side of the business has never been better. There is a, uh, we're we're just locked and loaded. I feel really, really good about where we're at. The American consumer is very strong for Ollie's. Brick and mortar isn't dead. Ollie's is thriving.
2: One last question: When yeah. an Ollie's comes into a town, what's it like that first day?
5: Well, oh, it's it's an absolute zoo. It's packed. You know, we, we, we do spend a lot of money in advertising and a lot of money in promotion. Sometimes we bring in some of my buddies who are NASCAR stars or baseball stars to, to really help create the hype. But the uh, uh, new store and grand opening process is really, really exciting. There's nothing like going to a store and seeing a packed parking lot. Once
2: again, I want to thank you for doing so well for shareholders, but thank you for helping. How many million
5: million and a half? How many outrests? 1.5, 1.7 million.
2: Okay, that's going to be your legacy, not just the Army. All right, that's Mark Butler. He's president and CEO of Ollie's Bargain Outlet, maybe the most fun place to go in retail. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Jim. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Daddy, time for the lightning round. I'm going with Regina in Washington. Regina!
0: Hi, Jim. Love your show, and thank you for all your great advice. We oh, think you're wonderful. And by you. the way, Aunt Lisa's wonderful, too we had the privilege of meeting her during your Veterans Day show. That was one incredible experience being there Thank with you. you. Thank you for that.
2: Uh, you're very kind. Um, that makes me really happy. Thank you. I'm watching. Yeah. You can't see it. Okay.
0: Thank you. Um, anyway, I've been buying Tandem Diabetes on its way down, and the last couple of a couple of days it's been on its way up. I would like to um, increase my position um, in tendon diabetes further. What are your thoughts? Bye right here. So yes, right here. Forward. Remember we
2: had them on. Of course you do. And you know how good I thought they were. And I think this is a great level to buy some more. I want to go to Gail. Thank you for those comments. Was that nice? The other Regina. Because we have a Regina over here who's Regina number one. Regina number one. Yes. Alright, Scale Yes, Gail, yes. how can I help?
0: Uh, I was wondering about electronic art.
2: You know, Gail, we're gonna say, you know, they have that Fortnite like uh, Fortnite, I'm sorry, Fortnite uh like imitator. I got Fortnite on my brain because the cybersecurity stuff has been so great. But we're gonna say that that came and went, and we're not gonna pull the trigger. Okay, how about we go to David Ohio, please, Dave? Hey, Jim, big booyah from Ohio. Oh, love Ohio. Wish we were there doing our show in Columbus. New company I'm looking at. Don't help yet. What's up?
1: Oh, come on down to Ohio. Yeah. Hey, I've been uh, watching your show for about a year now, doing my own mad money investing, and uh, just got to thank you. You've replaced the six o'clock news, and uh, thanks for
2: your guidance.
1: Bingo! But, uh,
2: thank you. Bingo! My stock is uh, Orbcon, ORBC. You know, I don't know that one, but if it's anything like a company that we hit on very recently, we had that uh, Matt Deschon, the Iridium, well, it could be great because we think Iridium's great. So let's do some homework before we come back. I need to go to Rick in New York. Rick!
3: Hey, a big booyah, Jim, from Rochester, New York. Hey, my question is about stock ticker ACB. I see it's up today over 3%, but have we seen its peak of over $10? Uh, You know what?
2: I'm going to have to default to Canopy and Kronos. I know people just say, Jim, will you please entertain more companies? I like to entertain the companies that I think have been very good and will continue to be good. How about we go to Bill in Florida? Bill. Hey, Jim. It's Andy Booyah from St. Augustine, Florida. The oldest city. All right. My stock is... T-A-C-W, Act Well. Yeah, it's not bad. It's got a good yield, but the banks haven't been doing that well. If you wanna you know you wanna just get that good yield, I'm, not, I'm gonna endorse it for that, but not much else. No, I'm not done, because you know why? I am all fired up. And that's why I want to go to Dwayne in New Jersey. Dwayne! Hello, Jim. Thank you so much. You're it's a pleasure to be talking to the king of the market. The king? I'll take Prince! I'm through am my anything but you two o'clock. What's up? When, when you're not on, I don't even want to watch TV. Wow. Now that is what. Can my mom. Someone dial up my mom right now because I love that. Thank you. What's going on? Okay. My question is about Yeti. Um, two weeks ago, it peaked at thirty-four forty-three, and since then, it's been down to about $30. Well you know what? That's a decent level to buy some because we've been we've liked it since it was 15 and we like it again right now. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by
1: TD Ameritrade.
2: If it costs $18 an hour to hire a cashier and in parts of New York City, that is the going rate. Then how in the world can anyone afford to open a new store? Simple. You don't hire any cashiers. That was easy. Two days ago, we spoke to Zach Normandon. He's the founder and CEO of Iris Nova and its subsidiary, Dirty Lemon which came up with this brilliant strategy. He's opened a store in Tribeca, one of the richest parts of Manhattan, by the way, where his company can sell its expensive lemon water without a single cashier. Instead, when customers visit the store, they text the company that they bought one of Dirty Lemon's $10.83 bottles, nice bottles of charcoal-activated lemony water, which tastes real good and supposedly good for you, too. And then they go on their merry way. Basically, the store is like a big walk-in vending machine, except it kind of runs on the honor system. Now, when I first heard about this concept, which is funny from all kinds of deep pocket investors, it seemed like a telltale sign of irrational exuberance. I mean, everything we know about human nature tells us this is a darn crazy idea, right? At one point, I was part owner of an art gallery right in the same neighborhood. And whenever we did our openings, we'd serve free wine. In theory, you come in to look at the paintings of undiscovered artists and you could browse through the rooms with a plastic cup of Chardonnay. In practice, we had to stop handing out the free wine after the fourth time. We get these long lines all the way up the stairs, then people will collect their 50 cents worth of crummy wine and leave instantly. So much for the f- honor system. But here comes Dirty Lemon with a store right now on the, down the block from my old gallery, and they're embracing the honor system for something that's 20 times more expensive. What's crazy is that it's working. And we know it's working because the company just opened a second location in Hudson Yards, another super fancy area on the west side of Manhattan this time. Why do I bring this up? Dirty Lemon's not even a publicly traded company. But this isn't really about them. Here's the thing. If this method catches on, it's easy to see how our economy can keep growing with hardly any meaningful wage inflation. Rather than paying their workers more, companies that used to hire a plenty are now finding ways to hire fewer people. There's another reason this resonates with me. As a small business owner who's lost his wife to dishwashing duties at our second restaurant all too often, I can tell you it's gotten very expensive to open something new. In fact, in our part of town, which is in Brooklyn, restaurants are going out of business left and right These it costs too much money to operate. If you can't find a way to replace that $18 an hour cashier or dishwasher, you're not going to want to open a new restaurant. But that also keeps a lid on wages, doesn't it? Because companies simply won't create jobs that pay $18 an hour or $20 an hour like they're doing at Bank of America. Of course, they don't give you the fine print, but the secret behind paying $20 an hour is to hire fewer people using better digital offerings. Because, alas, it's a really bad idea to run a bank on the honor system. So while I initially thought that $10.83 for a bottle of water, the same price as a 12-pack of Bud Light, meant we might be approaching a top I forgot that the millennial generation loves ordering everything online. They'd rather use a Twilio-based text message system than deal with a cashier. And that's another reason why we don't have more wage inflation in this country. It's why the Fed can get away with median interest rates unchanged. It's why the NASDAQ keeps going higher. At a certain point, it's just much cheaper for businesses to automate rather than hire new people. And what does that say about a bottle of tasty water versus two sixes of beer? Stick with Kramer. All right, now look, you got to stop trading the headlines, okay? The headline for Bed Bath & Beyond looked fabulous. People took it all the way up to 20, but it turned out to be the same old, same old. Another not-so-hot quarter. I wonder what the activists will do now. I like to say there's always more somewhere. I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow!